Welcome to Heels in the Courtroom, a podcast about successfully navigating law and life, featuring the women trial attorneys at the Simon Law Firm. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Heels in the Courtroom. I am Amy Gunn, and as you know, this season we are trying something a little bit different by including interviews in our sessions. And today I am very proud to introduce three ladies that we go way back to our school days, our law school days. We are all graduates of St. Louis University Law School, the class of 1996. And I am happy to introduce you to Jennifer Roy, Jennifer Hardister, and Joy Hennessy. Hello, ladies. Hello. Good afternoon, <laughs> Amy. <laughs> So I want to give you a little bit of background on my guests today, and then we're going to talk about our journeys. Jennifer started out at a private defense firm for a year or so before going to the St. Louis Circuit Attorney's Office until about 2002, and then she seized the opportunity to be a federal prosecutor at the United States Attorney's Office. She's currently in the criminal division, the financial fraud, some people call white collar crime division, but also interestingly and timely is gonna be part of, or is part of the business cyber intrusion case. And we also have Jennifer Hardister, who also started out at a law firm, private defense firm for a few years, and then went in-house at a major hospital system in their risk management department there. And then in 2017, she branched out on her own and took a wonderful opportunity to go into healthcare consulting. And last but not least, we have Joy Hennessy. And full disclosure, we were law school roommates through law school and even after law school when Joy was started out working as a clerk for a court of appeals judge in St. Louis and then went to a private law firm until 1999 when she took an incredibly brave opportunity to move to California and practice law in California at a law firm for about four years and then went in-house at a health system until 2007 when there was a big campaign to get her back and her new husband back to St. Louis and she's been back with us at a law firm here since that time. So for today, what we want to share with you all is our journeys. And you all know enough about mine, and I want to ask Joy. We did the intro, and you've made this decision a few years out of law school to leave St. Louis and to go to California. I want to know, why did you make that choice? What compelled you to drop everything and move to California? Well, it was one of those times when your personal life and your work life intersect. And it was personal reasons that took me out of St. Louis and into California. I had always promised myself that I wanted to live in a big city, at least for a couple of years. So I had been practicing for about two years in healthcare, and a headhunter called asking if I would like to move to Chicago, and I said, how about Los Angeles? And it was just fortuitous. And my experience level fit the opportunity at the right moment. So it was one of those where, you know, preparation and opportunity came together, and it was just very good timing. And so I interviewed and 
within two to three months, I was driving out with my mother, listening to California bar tapes in the journey. <laughs> so not only did you move across the country to California, but you also had to take another bar exam. Yes. Four years after I had taken the first one. Yeah. So I, my skills were a little rusty. So you mentioned big law. What is big law? So I think just generally people consider big law to be, you know, the firms that have over a 500, 1,000 attorneys. And when you're at big law, the expectations are you bring in big clients. And so looking at where I was in my life at that time and what I wanted for my life, I am willing to work hard. I want to work hard. But I also had a very active social life and I didn't want to live to work necessarily. I wanted to find a balance. So for me personally, staying at a large law firm was not where I saw my growth opportunities. And I was fortunate enough to be working with a client that had started to become my friends. And I've always felt that if you work with your friends, then going into your job day by day, it makes everything a lot easier. So they had an opening and again, my skill set fit the exact opening that they needed. And so I took the opportunity to go in-house, which was a little bit scary because you're working with a whole different set of politics. Law firms are kind of unique beasts because they are partners. Everybody's a partner. Everybody's a boss. You kind of work for yourself, but you don't. But in-house, you have all of the business. You have to learn the corporate structure. You have to really shift your mindset into being truly a problem solver than just somebody who kind of analyzes a discrete problem for a client and then moves on. You actually have to live with the decisions that get made day in and day out. And nobody wants to hear no. So you really have to change your skill set into that might not be the best way to do something. How about this? Will this meet your business objectives while minimizing the legal risks? And in my field, the legal risks end up in front of Miss Roy. <laughs> <laughs> Which is an interesting segue. Miss Roy, mm -hmm. you are a federal prosecutor. Yes. You started out in as a state prosecutor. Why? Why did you want to do that? Well, I wish I had a very sophisticated story to tell you, but it began when I was in about seventh grade. One of my favorite TV shows was and this is going to date me. We're all the same age. Yeah. <laughs> Murder, She Wrote. And I loved that show. You know, Angela Lansbury yes. in the most murdery town in, in America. <laughs> yeah, and everybody crazy. was dying. And um, she was always solving the mysteries. And so I just loved the idea of solving the mystery and, you know, solving the puzzle. And so it was kind of always in the back of my mind that that's what I wanted to do is eventually it kind of developed into I want to become a prosecutor. You did an internship in New York, didn't you? Before I did. Law school? I did. I went to the University of Michigan for college. 
thinking about law school. And a lot of my story kind of has to do with just when I'm about to do something else, this amazing opportunity comes along. And I went to the career office and a friend of mine worked there and said, hey, would you be interested in this? And it was the district attorney's office in Manhattan hired college grads to work as what they called either trial preparation assistants, TPAs, or I was a paralegal in the appellate unit. And I applied and I drove to New York and I got the job. And then I found out later that that was the first time that they had actually advertised at, the, at Michigan and didn't know that they had. They had always put it at the Ivy Leagues, but not ah. at the University of Michigan. So I snuck in. It was awesome. And having that opportunity to w live there and work at that office was is, is just amazing. The people, they were some of the hardest workers I've ever met. You had attorneys with four desks in one office space. <laughs> John F. Kennedy Jr., God rest his soul, was there at the time. Yeah. So if you didn't already have the bug for prosecuting or being in, in that environment, you certainly did after that. Yeah, it was, it was awesome. The only reason I didn't stay was because I actually got into law school. You know, New York is expensive. And for me, that was a, that was a concern, staying there and going to law school. So uh, I was looking at picking a law school in a large urban area where there would be opportunities for internships or jobs post-graduation. And coming from Illinois, St. Louis was one of the urban areas on my list, and that's where I ended up. So what about the change from the circuit attorney's office in the city of St. Louis to the, the federal branch? How did you make mm -hmm. that decision? When I was in law school, I did a couple of internships. I needed to make connections. So I was looking for internships and opportunities. And my first internship was at the U.S. attorney's office. But the decision to start there, I mean, it was just, it was a no-brainer. But when I got the opportunity to go to the circuit attorney's office, I snatched it and stayed there for about five years. Going to the U.S. attorney's office was like a pipe dream. I mean, who gets that job? Yeah. I don't get that job. How did I, I mean, how was I in the world ever, that was going to be a dream job. Five years into the circuit attorney's office, I'm thinking, okay, this is great. I'm trying these larger cases. At that point, it was Class A and B felonies, so you're talking about assaults and shootings, robberies. And I was considering a change. I was looking at jobs in California. I passed the bar, but I had also applied for a job in DC at Department of Justice. And when I got the job at the US Attorney's Office here, again, it was another no-brainer. It was an opportunity. Now, sometimes you wonder what would have happened. You move to California and you take that opportunity, or you go to DC. But everyone I ever talked to said, you never pass this job up at the U.S. Attorney's Office, and it really was the best decision. It's a great place to work. You know, I represent the United States of America. I get to say that in court. I mean, who gets to do that? All I get to do is sue the United States of America. <laughs> it's, no, it's nowhere near as impressive. <laughs> I get to defend against the United States of America. If I were talking to someone who wanted to be a prosecutor, you got to look for those opportunities to get into the get into the offices and meet people and take those internships or if they're not there create them for yourself exactly mm -hmm. recognize them and if they're not there create them for mm -hmm. yourself
I love it. Speaking of creating for yourself, Ms. Hardister, I want to hear about your time at your hospital system, but I also want to hear about this big decision that you made just a few years ago about entering your consulting. So take us through that. I did also know where uh, that I wanted to be in health law from a pretty early age. And I think a lot of that was because of my mom. My mom was a nurse. She retired probably 10 years ago, but she had 45 years of nursing. And so she would talk about it all the time. And I just, I loved healthcare and thought that I was going to be in healthcare until I candy striped at a hospital. <laughs> Dashed your hopes. Couldn't handle it. Oh, no. I can see anything, but the smells, I am not cut out for healthcare, providing clinical care myself. <laughs> a good lesson to learn it early is on. a very good lesson to learn. And so I pivoted, and I loved arguing and talking about the law and learning about the law, like later on in high school. And in college, talking about creating opportunities, I just sort of cold applied just sent out resumes and ended up working for a collection firm in undergrad and got amazing experience. I was like a court runner and ran the ran the collection dockets for them and was a secretary at their at their law firm, a two-person law firm. So then I kind of knew, yeah, I think this is what I want to do. I don't want to do collection work, no offense, mm -hmm. but I would I I'd like to maybe do health law and it just so happened that St. Louis University had a newly developed health law curriculum and program. And so I applied and got in and went to SLU and met you all. After graduation, most people don't go straight to in-house positions, although I did feel like that's where I wanted to be ultimately. So I started out at a law firm doing primarily medical malpractice defense. But the great thing about this particular firm was that they they did serve as general counsel for a lot of smaller hospitals. Back then, there weren't that many systems yet. The system thing was kind of new. And so we would serve as essentially their, their in-house counsel. And so no matter what issue would arise in the hospital, they would call us. And it really was a great training ground for then moving in to truly into a healthcare system. I just loved it. And I was fortunate enough at this firm to also work for the healthcare system that I ended up going in-house to. So that is a similar story to Joy, mm -hmm. where you start out at the law firms that are servicing these health systems, and you impress these folks with your skills and your personalities and with all the things that go into making a good lawyer, and then you're asked to come on board. Right. And you were there for almost 20 years. Yes, almost 20 years. I know you pivoted into consulting work, so I want you to tell us about that, that decision and how you landed on what you're doing now. For me, being on call for patient care issues for those years, almost 20 years, took a toll. And I really wanted to I really needed to focus on myself for a while, and I really needed to see if I could. I think I, I think I was done growing there, and I, I think they are very focused on transactional issues in general, and I knew that I had more to offer, and so I went out and 
went on my own and now have served those same interests to clients across the board, whether it's litigation or whether it's transactional, compliance, regulatory, but it's something that I needed to do for me. And three years later, now it's, it's fine. But at the time, it was very daunting. I think change at any stage in life is and can be scary. I think about now, after having been in a career 20-plus years, making a change, there's just an extra stress to that because you've been successful and you've been fulfilled, but you're at a place where you're not sure that's continuing. But I want to pick up on the last part where you mentioned, really it was a, an introspection of how you were feeling. I don't think we do that enough. Oh, I don't either. As, as women, as lawyers, as mothers, I don't think we do that enough. And the folks that listen to this podcast know that we address this issue from time to time. So I want to get y'all's perspective. I think what we're trying to get at is it's okay to make a change, to fulfill a personal need, doesn't mean you're failing mm-hmm. or you're a failure or you're not being successful in your job because you decide it's okay. A- with age comes the experience to say, it's okay. I don't need to work at this particular job with the credentials of whatever come with that and still be successful. I can move from a Los Angeles big law firm or a large health system, move back to a smaller market like St. Louis and work for a medium-sized, you know, a strong regional firm and it's okay. It doesn't mean that I'm not successful because I chose for personal reasons that maybe I didn't want to follow the big law path or maybe I didn't want to, you know, work 24/7 because I was at a different place in my life. And right. it's okay as lawyers and women to say I have another priority right now at this particular time in my life and maybe I do need to step back and either make a change within the job I'm doing, moving departments, going part-time, doesn't mean that you're failing. And so getting to the place where you're working in a position and at a firm or a company that can respect those choices, I think you get the opportunity with experience and age. Luck is what happens when preparation meets opportunity. So you've been preparing something and then the right opportunity presents itself and people say, oh, you were lucky. Mm -hmm. And you're like, sort of. I Mm -hmm. took that, I made that opportunity for myself and I had been working towards it. And yes, it was lucky, it was fortuitous that I answered a headhunter call and I move, you know, was given the opportunities, but I wouldn't have been given those opportunities in Los Angeles had I not been in the healthcare space. I like the phrase, the harder I work, the luckier I get. And we've talked about, you know, luck. Women tend to blame their success on luck. 
to credit their success on luck and say things like, oh, right. And I think one of the things that we have done well is being aware of how hard we work and seeing opportunities and nurturing those for ourselves and for others. And I'll ask Ms. Roy, how do you keep your perspective between life and career? And people that listen know that I hate the phrase work-life balance. And so how do you, how do you do that? You know, I do have two young kids. So, you know, the question is, can you have it all or, you know, or can you do it all? But the, I think for me, I, I've, I've grown to realize that Sure, you can do it all, but just don't place these expectations that everything's going to come out perfectly, like everything is is perfect. You can have that job you love. You can have the kids and the husband and, the, and take care of a house and all those things, but you just can't be so demanding on yourself or place those demands on yourself. And right. I, it's what fulfills me, and I think mm-hmm. that's something that we have try to identify as we get older versus something that we started out with. And I think so. I think our age, it took us longer. Right. I think that the students in law school now, I think they, they recognize that. I've told this story before. I had coffee with a law student a couple of years ago, and she was going to be working at a larger law firm for the summer, just for the summer. She hadn't graduated yet. And she was married, but no children yet, and was already worried about work-life balance, work-life mm. balance. And I don't know why I was triggered by that at that moment, but I was triggered. And I said, who told you you have to worry about work-life balance? Mm. Because yeah. the way it's presented, and that's why I hate it. That's why I hate the phrase. The way it's presented is you can't have it, or there's no such thing, or you have to work really hard to achieve it. And Jen, your point is, look, don't put that on yourself. And maybe our generation, even though I think we put that on ourselves, maybe the fact that we're doing it and people are seeing us do it, and I think most of the time we make it look easy. It's not, but we make it look easy. I think your question, Amy, about work-life balance is hard to answer because I, I don't know what the I don't know what the definition of what it's supposed to look like Fair. perfectly is. Do you know Fair. what I'm saying? Absolutely. I love what I do every day. I love my job. I can't imagine leaving it right now. I'll probably retire there. I love what I do. My kids know I enjoy my job and it's important and you know, our and life they respect it. Yeah. The way I look at it is I'm never going to be perfect. I don't even care about it. I want to be happy and I want those around me to be happy as well. And I will work hard to make sure that they're happy, but I have never had a problem taking time for myself. I've never had a problem prioritizing, not every day, but prioritizing what I think I need to be me. And sometimes you fall off and sometimes it takes you two months to get a manicure or whatever makes you happy, but I, I get it done because it's on my list to do. And I say that, I think that Jennifer, the whole, my kids are happy and they know what I do. I've always felt it was important to share with my children what I do for my job and who I represent and the cases that I handle and who my clients are, because it just gives them this notion that I'm not just a way to be away. I'm away doing things. And from my perspective, helping people. 
and I have included them as much as I possibly can in my career path, and they get it. And you just can't underestimate how resilient children are. And they know I love them whether I'm home or not. I think that our parents' generation had, and I, we are busting through those norms. And I do think it's for the it, it's for the benefit of those that go after us. I've always looked at it as more like, are you at peace with yourself? And if you're whether whatever that is, are you at peace with how your life is? And if you're not, then don't be hard on yourself. Figure it out, right? And spend some time thinking about how I can better be at peace with myself and how I am. And no matter what you do, whether you work inside the home, outside the home, how your kids are, all of that stuff. I'm not a huge fan of the work-life balance phrase either. I, I think it's more individualized and how you feel about your particular situation. Right. Something's not getting done. <laughs> Every day, something's off the rails. I mean, most days I'll get it back on the rails the next day. Or, you know, I'll handle this issue. I've got a problem today. I frankly can't solve it, whether it's work or relationship or whatever. I can't solve it today. I don't have any energy to solve it today. But I'm thinking about it. And I'm thinking about ways to solve it. And sometimes that's, for me, that's enough that I'm thinking about it. One of the things that I think we do fairly well is we do try to get together. And in those times, we talk about everything. We, we talk about all these things. We address the issues we're having at work in a general sense or at home if we really met our husbands or whatever the case may be. And I find that very comforting. And I know what's fun is that all four of us know each other and are connected with each other, but we also have totally different sets of friends that we connect with and debrief with. Joy, I know that you have really close friends from college that you still spend a lot of time with and communicate with. How have you been able to do that all, all these years? I think it's just, again, in the definition of having it all, you know, where do you put your priorities at certain times? And those priorities are going to shift. And so I can go six to eight months and not talk to somebody and pick up the phone and it's, like no time has passed. I will say texting helps and, you know, they blow up over some event or a, a child graduates from high school and, you know, then you're reconnecting. So social media, I do think, has some advantages in keeping connected to individuals. But I think it's, it's primarily about priorities and understanding at what point in time do you need to make it. I also think in terms of maintaining friendships to the extent you can become friends with your clients, to the extent you can expand, you can make your clients your friends, then those two worlds collide and I think that goes a lot in my position to really enjoying my job. I love the I, too, like Jennifer, love healthcare. It's always changing. It's always evolving. I learn something new every single day, and I appreciate that, and that keeps me going. But then I also love who I work with, and I have become friends with my clients. And 
So that just adds a personal element and it kind of ticks off, checks off two boxes. Jennifer Hardister, how do you wrap friends and friendship into your life and how do you find that beneficial? Friendships to me serve so many purposes. I mean, there is, the, of course, the emotional aspect of having friends and friends like you guys supporting each other. For God's sake, we went to, through law school together. So how can you... In the trenches. In the trenches. So certainly, emotionally, having friends like you guys is a huge deal. And just kind of friendship, I think, is is essential for everyone. But I do think having friends who understand some of the it doesn't have to be lawyer friends but just friends who understand some of the difficult issues women in particular face in the workplace home all of that is so beneficial and i think those friendships are invaluable especially as regardless of how old you are but especially uh, you know as as somebody who's younger in your career the, it's the support that you're given and giving each other is it's not replaceable for me it's more and more treasured because you do have almost shorthand you can talk in code and people understand you and you just feel good about being understood so i much appreciate that and i do appreciate you all taking your time today and sharing your journeys and giving us your thoughts and advice so i want to throw out one more topic what is your best advice for someone fresh out of law school or business school and having them understand opportunities and not be afraid to take them? Joy. I think when I talk to younger lawyers who are either interviewing for a position at the firm or just reaching out to have a cup of coffee to talk about this very topic, the one takeaway I tell them is don't worry about too far in the future and if you have an opportunity take it because no matter where you want to end up you're going to get there if you work hard enough it just may not be a straight line so if you're feeling down because it's a tough job market and the only thing you can get is you know in a in a firm outside of the area you want but it's going to give you invaluable experience like Ms. Hardister in the collection agency firm. But you take it and you turn that into another opportunity because you're always building your skill set and practicing your, your trade. And so don't worry so much that it may, your path to getting where you want to go may not be a straight line. Life is too short to be miserable. So if you're in a position that it's just not, it's just making you miserable, have the courage and the confidence in yourself. You made it through law school. You can pretty much do anything. That have the courage and the confidence to take the leap, to do something different. Be it, you know, put your own shingle out or go in-house or apply for a job you don't think you're ever going to get because you might get it. And so, but life's too short to be miserable. Day in and day out. We all have those days. But right. <laughs> and any job you're in, but day in and day out if you're not happy, then have confidence in yourself that you can be happy and somewhere else will make you happy. 
it's important to take time to get to know yourself, to find out what does make you happy. I think so many of us just gloss right over that and don't take enough time to figure out what it is that actually does make me happy. I did that 10 years ago. Yeah. I wrote down on a piece of paper what is truly making me happy I'm not and surprised what is by that. truly not making me happy. I'm sure she still has. And I do. <laughs> I do. It was difficult to do because the things that weren't making me happy, some peers thought those were the means to success. And parts of those success items were not making me happy. In fact, they were making me miserable. And so I cut them out. And I'm still successful. In my view, and what I consider successful, happy kids, happy family life, a job that I enjoy going to nine times out of ten. <laughs> I'm not going to paint a perfect Rosie. That picture, 900 but. is pretty unheard of. So, Miss Roy. Yes, ma'am. What do you think? What's your advice? You know, I knew that I wanted to be a prosecutor and that was where my path took me to the U.S. Attorney's Office. But the people that I came in with took different paths. And the boss that hired me is now an Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals judge. He hired 12 of us over a short period of time, and we, we all came from different places, every single one of us. So, again, I think, like you said, you can take a different path to end up, you know, where you want to be. It doesn't have to be a straight one. Ms. Hardister. I would say two things. First of all, don't sell yourself short. You deserve a salary. I mean, we all have to kind of work in a little bit of a, a confined space sometimes if you're dealing with law firms and that sort of thing. If there's a job out there that you want to apply for and you feel like you only meet maybe two out of the eight qualifications, and I don't mean like some of them are pretty important, like law you know, if you have to have a law degree, you may have to have a law degree. But <laughs> if you only meet a, some of them and not all of them, apply anyway. If, worst case scenario, you fail, then you learn something, and you might get the job, and you at least get an interview in the process. So just don't sell yourself short, whether it's salary negotiation, applying for something you don't think you're qualified for. Walk in there with your head held high, and if it fails, so be it. Take it for what it is, learn a lesson, and move on. The other thing I would say is nobody else is going to toot your horn but you. And so I, for a long time, was under the mistaken perception that, gosh, such a good girl coming from our generation, I think. I, do, <laughs> I, I wonder if this is a generational thing, too. If I just put my head down and work through this, and gosh, I am such a good worker, and everybody's going to notice how good, <laughs> my, how good of a worker I am. And my work product is great, and everything is, and isn't everybody going to notice? Well, no, they're not. Um, <laughs> or be, they're going to notice and not, and, still not and say And be like, thank you very much. Here's your next assignment. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so. The reward is more work. Exactly. So keep track of your accomplishments and appropriately so tout, tout them and toot your own horn and be your best advocate. And I know that is so difficult. And I think women can do a better job of that. And I also think women, one of the things we like to talk about here is that we do that for each other. Sure. Because I think we do still all kind of have the same condition, which is we want to be hard workers, but we're still a little bit meek and have humility. 
it's that balance of having humility and also promoting yourself and getting the attention that you need. So, well, ladies, thank you so much for joining me this afternoon. And thank you for listening to another episode of Heels in the Courtroom. You can learn more about our podcast at heelsinthecourtroom.law. Please feel free to send us comments, topics, whatever you wish. So thank you so much and see you next time. Heels in the Courtroom is brought to you by The Simon Law Firm. Connect with Amy, Liz, Mary, Erica, or Elizabeth at heelsinthecourtroom.law.